Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 87 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of the most successful, respected, and well-liked people in poker. He's played and crushed the highest stakes No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha games, both live and online. He's also been one of the game's top coaches for over 15 years and has created one of the premier poker training sites on the market, which has also evolved into an online playing site that he's hoping to relaunch soon in the United States. All of this, and he has a lovely wife and a three-year-old son as well. What else can we say? It's great to be Phil Galfond, and I'm so happy to have him with us here today on the Cards Jet Podcast. Phil, welcome to the show. Hi, Robbie. Thanks for having me, and then for the lovely intro. Uh, I feel like it's years in the making, in a way. I just, I really, you know, I've, I almost say you shouldn't covet. I know it's against the Bible kind of thing, but I've, I've really coveted uh, having the opportunity to speak with you in a forum like this. So uh, I'm grateful for it, and uh, thank you very much in advance for your time. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it as well. Yay. Okay, cool. So let's hope we we both have a good time during this hour. Um, You know, look, you've been interviewed a billion times. There's tons to talk about. It's kind of even difficult to know where to start. So, you know, let's kind of begin a little bit unconventionally, I guess. What is a typical day like for you? And is there even such a thing? And that's a, an excellent question. There's not really such a thing. You know, it's varied year to year and month to month. And, um, you know, la- last year was almost every single day was fully focused, um, at least the workday portion, fully focused on kind of getting a run at once poker on its path to the U.S. market. And we've, you know, by the end of the year, like the very end of the year, kind of settled on a direction there. And, and so now... Uh, kind of only just now in the last couple of months, I've I've had some more freedom with with my time or time available to do other things. And I'm trying to, uh, you know, again, day to day is going to vary, but I'm trying to spend some more time uh, brushing up uh, my poker game, um, looking for, uh, you know, well, looking forward to to the World Series poker. And I don't know how many tournaments I'm going to play, but I'm going to play a few, and then you know, we'll see what the cash game world. Uh, has in store for me as well, but I, I'm I'm looking to get more back uh, into playing because 2021 was a year of, of uh, very little poker for me. Mm-hmm. So you've missed it. I missed it, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I guess more specifically, you know, I wake up at 6 a.m. ish, um, spend a little bit of time with my son, um, and then head into my office, and that's going to be, you know, poker studying. Potentially some poker playing online, usually meetings uh, and or just kind of solo work and that for most of the day, uh, honestly. And um, and then, yeah, afternoon, evenings with the family, and early bedtime, uh, so I take a wake up at six. Right. Well, certainly, uh, I, I imagine that's a little bit different than it had been, say, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago. What, what, did, what did it used to wow. be like? I'm sure there still wasn't necessarily a routine and things you know were you know changed from day to day week to week but what did it used to be like the the day-to-day prior to you know single phil galfon yeah no the i mean definitely i tried to 
start waking up earlier many times in my life. And I had always failed until, uh, until I became a dad and then it, yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> Your uh, hand gets forced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was usually, I mean, I was probably, uh, let's see, usually waking up in the early afternoon, like noon or one, sometimes as late as three mm. and, uh, morning coffee and then playing poker. Uh, most, mostly you know, playing poker in, in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Do you miss those days at all? You know, I do and I don't. I, I part of me does. Um, I miss the the freedom to, um, well, the freedom to kind of play a really long session without having to think about, oh, well, I have to get back to do this or tomorrow I have to, to do this or I have a meeting uh, to get to. So I do miss the freedom aspect, but I actually do generally like the structured life a bit more. Um, I feel usually more rested actually uh even despite having <laughs> more things to do um right. just like being on that routine has helped a lot and um yeah calmer nice well you certainly seem uh, at peace with yourself yeah. that's a pretty cool thing it's good it's good uh trait to have the characteristic um you know you talk about you know even more things to do you know i know it's no secret you're one of the busiest people in the poker world. Um, I imagine at or near the top of your list, you know, of, of things that you gotta, you know, be doing and working on. You got the new course uh, from Run It Once. Uh, this is PLO, your first ever full length course that you've put together on your own. Um, when you first released it a little while back in beta form, it already had over 50 hours of content and 145 videos. That was, I believe, in January uh, when you released it. You're still adding to it regularly. It's not yet the finished product. So, you know, can you update us a little bit on the stats? Uh, you know, how have you padded it over the last uh, couple of months uh, as far as like looking towards the finished product? Yeah, we're, so we're getting very close. I'm getting very close to, to wrapping it up. Uh, and I think when I say wrapping it up, if I have ideas later of, of something that I think is missing, I think I'll probably add to it uh, perpetually because otherwise I never would have released it in the first place. I'm right. too much of a perfectionist. Um, I've been working on, so I'm rounding it out with some session reviews from my challenges. So just reviewing the footage from, from kind of some key days in, in each of my challenges. Um, and I'm actually also working on a section dedicated to six max PLO because the course is intended to teach people playing any form of PLO, but all of the hand examples thus far and, and like the, the solver work is heads up PLO only. Um, and that was a common request, um, request or question. Uh, probably the most common question is I play six max PLO. Is this going to help me? Um, I, and I, my answer has been, I think so, but I'm waiting on feedback to find out for sure. Um, but uh, in addition to getting that feedback in, I am building out the course to, to have a little more six max specific content. Um, and that should really be it. I mean, it, it, I mean it, it's probably another 30 to 40 videos, okay. um, you know, 15 to 20 hours, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, much, it, it much was more than just an appendix. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost there. I'm getting there. And, uh, that's one of the other things that things that fills my days. Uh, but, but we're getting very close. Nice. Well, for those, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a sneak peek cause it's, you know, it's certainly public. If y'all want to take a peek at uh, what this is PLO has to offer, uh, there's a YouTube video available for free if you're, if you're curious. Um, and you know, to that piques everyone's curiosity, but you know, there's a lot of 
people out there in the Cards Chat audience, you know, to sort of narrow it down a little bit, who would you say that this course is geared uh, most specifically to? Great question. So, you know, on Run It Once, we have things that span, you know, we have a, a course from the ground up, which is for players who are, you know, relatively new to the game to, you know, play very casually, but would like to get better. Um, and then really all the way up to courses like this. And, and this course, I would definitely not recommend for people who are, are not playing very seriously, unless, you know, you're just wealthy and you, and you really like your PLO game to get a bit better. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an expensive course. Um, it's it's uh, about $2,000 in, in early access. It's actually going to go up once the course is completed. So this is for people who are serious about PLO. Um, you don't need to be an expert in PLO uh, to take it. it. It does kind of start, at least at least for pets of PLO theory, it starts kind of at the beginning and, and is, is kind of an A to Z course uh, that covers really every part of the game tree. But you do need to have you know, a decent understanding of poker in general. Um, and, and I would say that means, you know, like you've watched Run It Once Elite videos and uh, you didn't have to look up a lot of the words that people were using. <laughs> that dovetails sort of into what I was going to say is, yeah, so for those who aren't yet at that advanced level or have that sort of uh, advanced wealth, uh, you know, there are, of course, the more starter plans. There's the... Uh, uh, essential and then the elite memberships at run it once uh you know for those who aren't aware or you know i'm sure it's been around forever but you know if they're not aware specifically like the costs involved and what that offers you want to just sort of tell uh folks about the the basic plans yeah so our core products are you know run it once essential membership which is 25 dollars a month and run it once elite which is 100 dollars a month and the only difference there is that elite's getting access to more videos and higher stakes videos um, but the content, even in Essential, is is fairly advanced. Um, we have uh, a series of courses and and kind of the most popular, um, I don't know what to call them. See, I, I don't know. <laughs> the most popular courses are um, are from the ground up courses. So there's from the ground up. Um, our, our first from the ground up, I think it's just called from the ground up, but it's focused on no one holding. Right. Um, but we have from the ground up PLO, from the ground up uh, MTT. Uh, from the ground up, sit and go courses, and I think those are the best place. Place if you've never watched anything on Run at Once, um, I would start with one of those, depending on you know what your game type of choice is. Sure, and those range from I think fifty to one hundred fifty dollars for a full course. Right. So you know there are folks who have never seen any Run at Once videos, and for that you do have the uh, YouTube channel where you do offer yeah. some of those videos for free. I want to just take it sort of you know step back from that a little bit. You know, you could kind of understand, you know, all the training sites out there. You want to give a little bit of a taste, you know, before someone walks into the restaurant. But what's your sort of take on, you know, people who, you know, say, you know, not necessarily ready to say, well, why should I spend money on training? There's just so much. And, and it's true. There really is a lot out there, you know, video wise, article wise, so much strategy for free that you don't need to pay. So what should be sort of that? That point at which someone should say, well, you know, that's not enough. I really ought to pay. And what does that money sort of get you? That's a, an excellent question. because there, There's a lot of content out there for free. Like you said, article, a lot of strategy articles. There are people streaming on Twitch, streaming on YouTube, releasing YouTube strategy videos. I think, I think the big question is how, how much improving at poker matters to you. Because mm -hmm. while it's absolutely possible to learn 
from all these other sources that like the big thing that that paying money saves you is time. Um, you know, for for listeners or viewers out there, um, even even if uh, so, I don't have a list off the top of my head of the the best YouTube channels to go to to learn poker or the best articles to check out, but but they're all over the place. And the problem is you you can kind of spend a lot of time going through articles. Here's an article about check raising the flop, and then somewhere else in another publication, here's an article about you know constructing a, a pre flop three bet range. And um, the thing that a course does um, or even a membership is that it it directs you, you know, we're starting here, we're going to get to there. And so, yeah, like from the ground up, uh, the, the basic one, uh, I believe is $50. I should probably make sure that I'm telling the truth about that. <laughs> we haven't raised the price, but, uh, 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 but, um, you know, if it's, if it saves you 10 hours uh, of trying to, you know, cobble together that information from everywhere else, or even more so it, it prevents you from getting bad information because we at Runner Once have vetted it. Um, it, it can pay for itself uh, many times over, I think. All right. Well, when you say vetting, what sort of vetting do you do when you uh, bring coaches onto the roster? Yeah, so we we, we do a lot, actually. So uh, a lot of sites, uh, I guess I don't know this firsthand, but I well, I was part of some before. Um, a, a lot of coaches come to sites and say, hey, I'd like to make videos. And then they, they talk to them and, and potentially work out a deal. We actually do a lot of proactive reaching out to coaches because we do a lot of research um, into, you know, who's having success in the games. Um, so we're researching already before we reach out. And then um, any coach that we bring on, we are asking questions. We're, we're trying to vet their results, essentially, to make sure that they're a winning player. Um, I've, for like, it's been like eight years since I was involved in the actual vetting okay. of the results. So I'm, I'm, I don't want to speak uh, with too definitively about what we do, but I know in the past we would check, we would we would ask for hands, uh, like screenshots of their their databases if they're online players and and check their results and things like that. And if there were publicly available information, whether it's you know live tournaments or online tournaments or online uh, cash game tracking, mm-hmm. we would check all that out. Um, and then we we got to train uh, a demo video from every coach uh, before we decide whether or not to to hire them and, and I review, I used to review every single one. Well, at this point, the last um, few years, they basically send it to me when they're not positive about it. So I still review quite a lot, but sometimes they're like, no, this guy's definitely good. Or no, this person's definitely no good. Um, and they, they don't, uh, they don't send it along to me, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, if there's ever any question, it comes to me as kind of the last, uh, reviewer. The, the end boss reviewer, right? Okay, good. Another another accolade there. Um, okay. The thing is, though, you know, vetting results that they're real, legit, you know, not just the hand and mob, all that kind of stuff. You know, we get that, but performing is not the same as being able to teach good performance. So, you know, plenty of great basketball players out there. They'd make horrible coaches. They can execute very well, but they don't wouldn't necessarily know how to explain to someone else how to do what they do beyond just sort of natural talent and skill. Um, in your mind, what makes for a great coach? You can go ahead and, and recruit people, but the, you know, besides, you know, they may not say no, but like you may say, Oh wait, maybe we're a little wrong. They, they're great players, but maybe they're not, you know, great instructors. Yeah. We, I mean, we've had people who we've proactively reached out to and said, Hey, we are you interested in coaching? We we'd like to have you as a coach. And they send us in a video and then we say, I'm sorry. It's not a, it's not, you know, we thought it would be, it's not a fit. Um, so it does happen sometimes, certainly. I mean, yeah, it's, 
it is kind of hard to pinpoint what those qualities are, but I think the players who end up making the best coaches are generally um, introspective, self-aware, um, because they, they're reviewing their own play a lot and thinking through where they need to improve and what they do right and what they do wrong. And those qualities, you know, generally when they're thinking along those lines, they can can explain themselves well in, in video form as well. But, the, it, you know, the skill of teaching is definitely its, its own thing. And it's, yeah. it's not necessarily correlated with success in poker. You, you need to have both. And, I mean, I do think we'll have, um, you want, you know, the strongest poker player and the strongest teacher. And not everybody is both. And we kind of have, we'll have definitely a sliding scale on each where right. um, as long as they, I mean, we're not actually scoring them, but as long as they're, you know, like their total score between the two is good enough. We'll hire them. Right. We definitely have some, some coaches who are like, I would, I would put higher up on the playing spectrum than the teaching spectrum and, and vice versa. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, well, you know, besides uh, Run It Once training, there is, of course, Run It Once poker itself. You know, we'll go ahead and change gears. So to throw you off balance a little bit, um, you know, while you're doing all of this training material and sitting on top of that mountain, making sure everyone learns how to play the correct way, you're also working on the relaunch of Run It Once poker in the U.S. Uh, just, you know, time-wise, uh, folks, you know, this episode is being recorded in mid-May 2022. Phil, can you give us uh, an update, uh, you know, to the best of your ability? Where do things currently stand with them? So we're, um, I'm going gonna, gonna to be a little measured just because now it's not, it's not my company anymore. Uh, you know, okay. we, 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 so we, in, at the end of last year, we, we sold the assets of Run Once Poker to uh, Rush Street Interactive, uh, who uh, run, well, who, who, you know, operate in, well, in, in the Americas, but online gaming businesses. So casino sports, um, in, for those in the U S you'll, you'll most likely have heard of them under the, the name bet rivers where they, yeah. they have, um, sports and casinos. So the, it's been weird to me because as, as you know, the owner of a, a small business myself, um, I've always just been, uh, just answer questions whenever they're asked, but now I just think, okay, well, what information is this public company willing to share and what? So I know that um, right now they haven't given a, a launch date, so I can't I can't speak to a launch date um, itself. We've been uh, you know this year has been like early in this year is dedicated to figuring out what exactly we want in our launch product. So you know looking at where we were at, uh, where we want it to be. And making all those decisions, do we want to change certain features and, and policies for the U.S. market? Do we want to, to to fix things that that we didn't feel worked well or might not work well in the U.S. market? So we've accomplished that. We 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 spent a few months kind of getting to yeah our rough idea of of MVP in the U.S. market. And at this point, it's going to be you know building it out, integrating with their existing verticals because um, you know. I'm not positive at, at which stage we'll we'll pull the trigger and launch, but I know that you know the end goal is you know a shared wallet and and single sign-on, so that you know that sure. it's 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 a good experience for everybody um, to kind of switch between whatever they they want to be playing. And then there's the regulatory element, so we're going to be launching in in regulated markets only. So right now that's a handful of states. We hope and think that uh, more states are coming slowly but surely. Um, states are better. 
Yeah. And yeah. plan what we uh, Yes. So, so we're doing all those things and working to get into those. Uh, but like, yeah, like I said, I, I don't have a, a date in okay. mind. Just That's fair. Oh, you did mention the MVP and, you know, naturally it's a, uh, uh, something associated with Phil Goff on the MVP, but we're not talking about most valuable player. It's the minimum viable product for those who are unaware of what uh, that abbreviation stands for. Um, I do want to kind of like dive a little deeper on one thing though. You mentioned it's no longer your company and you know, the, the reasons, you know, you very publicly in a blog post, you shared with everybody, you know, what the move was and the reasons why that happened. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, all, all of us who've been kind of rooting for your success and there's tons of us in the industry doing that. Uh, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, that little bit of a heartbreak, but because you know, we're all, you know, vested in, in you know, wanting this to, to be a really cool thing. And yet, you know, now there's the new chapter, but it's not like you've washed your hands of it. You're still clearly involved. It still, you know, has a, a very special place in your heart. And, you know, they didn't just acquire the assets. You know, obviously, you are still part of this journey. But like you said, it's not your company anymore. What has that transition been like for you from being the ultimate decision maker to just sort of, I guess, still an integral part of the the wider team? So far, it's actually been fantastic. I, I had concerns about it, like for, for the reasons you mentioned, but really, you know, what I realized over the last several years is that I, you know, I absolutely love working on a product, working on design. Um, I love working on setting policies and, and coming up with features and, and innovating games. Um, but there are a lot of other aspects to running a business uh, beyond just those, especially when, it, when it's the size of, of Renault's poker. You know, I've had Renault's training for a long time as, you know, a small business compared to what Renault's poker was. And um, like right now, um, you know, af- after this transition, it's been great because I get to focus on the parts that I really love, the parts that I'm passionate about and feel I have a lot to contribute. Um, but I, I no longer have kind of the, the other aspects on my shoulders there. Other people are handling those. And so it's, it's been great and they've been, you know, completely receptive. There there hasn't been a point, um, there hasn't been a single situation where, you know, I've said, I, I, I like my team and I have come up with an idea or said, you know, we really think it's important that, that this remains the same or that we set this policy this way that they've given us any pushback and it's not to say that'll never happen but um you know they brought us on because of our expertise in poker and because they liked what we did with coming right. up with designing the software and and setting policies that that we as poker players understand better than than you know they'd likely be able to understand themselves without having having spent a lot of time on poker sure well while uh, we're all you know waiting with bated breath for the uh, return whenever that may be you know, now that that's where your focus is, are you able, perhaps, just you know, maybe a teaser to clue us in on certain features or little things that you may be working on to be integrated into the newly relaunched product? Well, so the, I mean, the biggest thing that we were missing very clearly in our in our previous product, which we're still working on, but the biggest thing we we're missing is is MTTs, small scale tournaments. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's something that we decided is 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 a must have before before launching in the US market as it's just too big a part of, of what a poker site is. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have those. And I've actually, uh, the, the designs are, are beautiful. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, get those finalized and test them out because uh, I think, I think we, I think we did a great job with them. The, um, the MTTs themselves are, 
you know, so our cash games and our sit and goes, um, in both of those, we came up with a lot of, uh, kind of brand new ideas that had never been done before in the industry. And our ATs are going to be, there's going to be less of that in, in our MVT, MV, uh, MTTs, MVP, MVT, MTTs. <laughs> um, it's hard to say. Um, yeah. it'll, it'll be more, uh, you know, MTTs will be kind of what you're used to. Um, from other sites in, in most table tournaments, but kind of in, in the run at once design and style and with some, some added um, user interface friendly uh, elements, I'd say. Okay, that's fair. Well, you know, Phil, you've made it through level one and level two. It's time to raise the blinds once more. You know, I've never been one to fan the flames of any scandals uh, in our industry, but you know, obviously there's a good deal going on right now, and I'm sure you and, of course, uh, our Cards Chat audience can appreciate the paramount importance of game security uh, and integrity. Um, you know, you've got vast experience as a player using and creating training tools, playing online. How safe do you think players are when playing online now in you know 2022? And how effective, in your opinion, are sites uh, when it comes to detecting cheating? It's a great question. I think the, to answer your last question, I think it varies quite a bit. I think there are some sites who take it very seriously and there are others who don't. Um, and really, it's important that the site cares about, about curbing behavior, because this behavior, because they're not necessarily economically incentivized to you know a site hmm. if you're on a site where there are a bunch of bots playing but the public doesn't know that that's not a bad thing for the site itself you know the bots i mean there's a lot more player volume there's more liquidity generating more rake um so in a lot of cases if there's not a regulator forcing them to do so or they aren't kind of just people who care about the integrity of poker um intrinsically yeah there, there's not a lot of incentive some for these or or scandals aren't breaking all the time and and players aren't figuring it out on their own there's not a lot of incentive to to kind of stop that behavior as much as as some sites do um i think it's tough to say because obviously like right now there's a lot of talk about uh scandals and online poker i don't think it's I don't think it's more dangerous than it's been. I think if anything, it's it's safer than it has been in the past, just because the tools that sites use to detect cheating are progressing. And you know, the the public perception I think is that because technology has progressed and now poker bots are stronger than they've ever been, right? The risks are higher. But um, my view of the reality is actually that you know. Bots have been able to beat mid-stakes MTTs for, I don't know, decade plus, and uh, maybe not quite as as decisively as they can now, but I think kind of close. And so it's really been more like the progression of technology, I think, on the whole benefits the, the operator more in being able to, to check these things. Uh, so I actually think it's, it's been now... <laughs> All that said, it's it's unsettling to hear that, you know, bots have been able to beat the games for a long time. That they are out there and they do exist. And I think they, they always have and they are they have for yeah, at least a decade. Um 
and I think they always will. But they are on most sites, as far as I know, you know, a small minority of, of the player pool. And in in all but the the highest stakes games, um, you know, they haven't made the games unbeatable. And so, I, you know, based on an individual site, the, the, the number of, well, the number of accounts that are behaving unethically in one way or another um, are going to vary from site to site, but I think yeah. they're relatively small um, at all, but well, at all stakes. Now at the highest stakes, I think it's kind of a different world because now you have um, top players who are, you know, extremely smart um, and understand the game extremely well, um, who have the ability potentially to use real-time assistance. And the, the key there is that, you know, if there's a bot ring at small stakes with, you know, 30 accounts that are, that are operating off the same software and, um, you know, whether or not they have hired individual people to click the buttons, um, they're going to exhibit patterns. The, yeah. These 30 accounts are all going to play similarly. They're um, going to exhibit not only patterns in their play, but patterns in their kind of like, well, whether it's IP addresses or software used on the computer or where they set up their accounts from and the types of banks they use to, to fund the accounts. There, there are going to be patterns for the sites to catch. But the highest stakes, an individual really sharp player using real-time assistance and deviating from it when they see fit, either to kind of obfuscate the fact that they're, they're, they're using assistance or because they think a play is better, that's a lot harder to detect. Um, and so I think the, you know, the, the lower stakes ecosystem, obviously sites need to stay vigilant and they are for the most part. Um, but the, I, I don't think there need to be massive changes in the way that we do things. I think at the highest stakes, uh, there do need to be changes. And I think, you know, one thing I heard Rob Young mention is, is webcams required for a lot of games. I think something like that is very smart. Um, I, I think we need to start looking at, into things like that for, for the higher stakes games. Um, yeah, to, to ensure their integrity. And like these, these scandals have shown us that it, that is happening more than we thought um, at the high stakes. Always a big question. That's a damn impressive answer. Genuinely, I'm not, not being facetious. Uh, you know, also additional points for excellent use of the word obfuscate. Uh, you did mention Rob Young. I uh, just got to point out he was episode number 55, uh, our interviewee there here on the Cards Chat podcast. Again, this is 87. That means you got 86 wonderful episodes to listen to after you finish this one, if you haven't already. Um, and how about on the run at once front? Is there anything you're able to say? You know, obviously this is, you know, every site has its own proprietary methods and and, and ways of monitoring things and, and performing their security and integrity checks. But is there something specific that um, you're very happy that run it once poker had done and will continue to do as far as its operations to maintain security and integrity of the game? Yeah, I mean, I would say the main thing that I'm really happy about is not necessarily something we did before, but something we're now able to tap into with a resource like Rush Street Interactive, who, you know, has, has really strong, powerful software already. Um, kind of policing fraud in their uh, sports books, in their casinos. Um, and while the, the, you know, the back end of that right now is, is not built for poker-specific logic, um, the, the tools are really powerful. And we come in with poker-specific knowledge. And I think working with us 
those tools are going to get stronger and stronger and, and be really helpful in kind of fast tracking our ability to to police things at scale. Because you know, at Run Once Poker on our own, we took integrity game integrity very seriously, but you know, we were still completing our product. We didn't have multi-table tournaments yet, and so our policing was done a lot more manually than it would be at stars, um, a party poker, something like that. And so uh, we, we had the poker know how to, to do those checks manually and, and do them well. And we had a small enough player pool that it was viable to do them manually. Um, but yeah, now hopefully we'll have a much right. bigger player and, uh, and we'll have the tools uh, to, to, you know, use a lot more automation in, in our detection. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Well, look, you know, I said in the beginning, there's just, you know, such a wide net that can be cast so many different things and topics that we could talk to you about. We talked about training. We talked about the Run It Once brand. We talked about game integrity. You have so many hats in this industry and, you know, can speak to them with such expertise. Let's switch uh, to the uh, the first one, though, the Phil Galfon player hat. And what's the deal with the Galfon challenges? Where do we stand, man? <laughs> Another good question. Um, So... As far as the challenges that, that were kind of set initially, the, the ones that are not complete really are uh, my challenge against Jungle Man and then um, my challenge against Bill Perkins. And those two, the, I mean, I, I'm a little bit difficult to schedule with and those two are also very difficult to schedule with. And that, that's what's been uh, kind of holding those back. Um, I want to, I want to play more challenges. And the biggest hurdle right now, I mean, like, honestly, I would want to play challenges for the majority of the year i just want to ah, keep playing nice, nice. but the the biggest hurdle is that i'm i wouldn't say i'm stuck here in las vegas but my son's in school sure. i'm we have our home here my my wife's happy here i i at the start of my challenges in 2020 we went to vancouver for five months or so uh which actually proved to be not enough time to complete them all i thought we were going to play faster than we did <laughs> and so the, my biggest challenge is playing uh, finding challenges that I can play from here, which, you know, restricts me uh, on regulated sites to, you know, people in Nevada, people in New Jersey. Um, I don't know. Is, is Delaware? In, I don't know. <laughs> I don't uh, think Michigan, in, Pennsylvania, maybe. You know, that's yeah, but I think Pennsylvania's not shared player pool yet. Maybe uh, anyways. Yes. We're working towards that. I know Michigan's on the way to shared player pool. So it's really just finding challengers uh, is, is the issue. And there are a lot of, like, it's hard to find people to play, but if you open it up to Europe and, and Canada, there, there are definitely people willing to give me action, but I don't think they're willing to, to, you know, travel to New Jersey for several months to play me. And so that's, that's been the biggest hurdle right now is trying to find uh, action where I am. Okay. That's fair, fair assessment. Um, okay. So let's, let's go back a little bit further. I remember you first came on my radar as a player when you played on those original seasons of high stakes poker uh, you know, obviously, already at that time, you were an online poker beast. I wasn't following online poker that uh, seriously at the time. So that was like, oh, okay, who's this, you know, Phil Goff on this uh, OMG Clay Aiken character. Um, could you give us maybe some favorite memories of, of hands? You don't have to go through the hands, but any any particular moments when you, you know, hit the, the big stage, so to speak, that you know, kind of remember fondly? It's tough because so my first couple experiences on high stakes poker, I was just so nervous, and I don't <laughs> like I don't look back on them fondly. Those were those were stressful memories. Uh, there was a I don't know. I think back to 
So I played some poker after dark that that I felt better about. There was a high stakes poker that I think was the last season before it well took a hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, and back now, um, and there were a lot of hands that I don't know. I felt pretty good playing that time. There was one hand actually I remember against. I'm not going to get the board or anything That's accurate. Right. But there was a hand I played against Phil Locke where I three bet. And um, it, like he opened the late position, I three bet from the blinds he called. And I think it was something like, you know, a let's call it like queen seven four flop. And I had ace four with a backdoor flush, rainbow flop. I had ace four with a backdoor flush draw. And I bet and he raised. And um, I ended up thinking he was bluffing enough to shove my hand. Um, but I, like I tanked for a long time. And, and I had figured at the time that. You know, he either had me beat and was calling or he was bluffing and was folding. But there was just enough in the pot that shoving it in uh, made sense rather than just calling and letting him hit, right. you know, one of the cards or something. And, and I shoved and he actually had a better hand and folded. He had like a pocket pair, mid, mid-pocket pair, and and was kind of finding out where he was at. And I didn't, wasn't, uh, so like I, I actually, I, I made the play of putting all the money in, just thinking my hand was good often enough. But I looked smarter than that because it looked like I, I mean I bluffed him off a better hand. I didn't I didn't intend to do that. Nice. It's fun. I, I can't remember that specific hand, but the way you describe it, I could hear Gabe Kaplan going, Wow, or something like that <laughs> on the commentary. Very nice. All right, well, you know, the, the show is back, you know, so is poker after dark. Where 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 when's your next appearance on I Stakes Poker, Phil? That's a good that's a question to ask them. Um oh. I, I, I'd love to hop back on. You know, they um I I'll, I actually should probably just reach out directly and say, hey, I'd love to play uh, in one of your upcoming. People, the people want to see Phil Galfon. Yeah, no, I'm 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 ready to. I mean, they film here in in Vegas, so right. it's for me to get to, and uh, it is something I love to do. So, all right, Robbie, I'll 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 text them. You heard it here first, folks, on the Cards Chat podcast. When Phil Galfon gets on season ten of High Stakes Poker, it's because. We asked him to do so. so uh, Brent Hanks, pick up the phone, buddy. Okay. Um, people think of you, Phil, primarily, and rightfully so, as a, a kind of PLO player, no limit holding, but obviously you are a very accomplished mixed game player as well, including deep WSOP runs and final tables and several different variants of the game. Uh, and you've got uh, a bracelet, you know, back in 2015 in the 10K no limit do seven single draw probably the purest form of the game tell us a little bit about uh, your passion for mixed games beyond plo and no limit i so i love learning new games um and i think mixed games are far and away the most fun format of poker to play um you know it, it can playing a single game regardless of how fun the game is um just can get monotonous after a while, I mean, I love play- it doesn't really happen heads up because it's just the action so fast. But if you're playing at, at, you know, a full table, I think mixed games are, yeah, far and away the most fun. I have. Um, so there was a game I played in for a few years here in Vegas that was um, known as the Big Bet Mix. So it was something like, I don't know, 12 games, all no limit pot limit. And a lot of them, you know, nobody in the game had played before until the game started. And we kind of all learned, figured it out together. Uh, I really enjoyed that, and I think I became pretty good at a lot of those games. But as far as other mixed games, I'm 
I feel I've never gotten good at any limit game outside of Deuce to Seven Triple Draw. Um, and that's because for a while on Full Tilt, the Deuce to Seven Triple Draw straight ran a lot. And I put a lot of time and effort into that. Every time I've tried to learn, you know, horse, eight game mix, I mean, you know, horse essentially, um, I've been trying to learn them all at once and I haven't put enough time into it. And I, I just feel my poker habits that I've built through playing PLO and Element Hold'em don't translate as well to, oh. to limit games. And so I still feel, I mean, I frankly feel like a fish at, at all horse games. Wow. Uh, I gotta say that that is not an answer I expected, but you're in luck because there's a very handsome podcast host out there who is hosting a mixed game festival at Resorts World starting on June 12th until the 16th. You can play as low as 4-8 and, you know, it's okay. Once in a while, even Phil Galfon can be the fish and, you know, you're more than welcome to join us uh, over there. Again, unexpected, but, you know, if you're going to put it out there like that, I will certainly promote it. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you want to take a little bit of a break from bracelet hunting at the World Series, you're more than welcome to show up, say hello. But on the note of bracelet hunting, you mentioned you're studying, you're putting in the time, the effort uh, to, you know, make uh, a good showing at the World Series. Uh, what events uh, do you plan on playing? So I, what, in, in the last WSOP, it happened in the fall. So in the last summer, but last fall, I, I had said going in, you know, I'm going to work, I'm busy, I'm working on some other things. But, you know, at the end, there's, there are a couple of PLO high rollers. Uh, I forget. Oh, there's the you know 50k uh, poker players championship, which I love, despite not thinking I'm great at half the games. Um, so I, was, I, I went into it thinking, okay, um, I'll just play a few. I'll play a handful at the end. Then the end came around, and then I said, well, you know, I'm waking up at 6 a.m. I'm liking my schedule that I'm in. I don't really feel like changing things up right now, and and so I ended up skipping everything and didn't play anything mm-hmm. last series, and so. Um, my wife, Farah has, she likes when I play tournaments. And so she's, she's, uh, she's been pushing me to this series, play a few at the beginning and then see how I feel. Um, and honestly, my expectation is I'll only play a few, maybe three to five over the okay, whole series. Wow. That's But I'm going to start out with a few of the beats. So I want to play the, the early ones that are really interesting to me are the, the 25k heads up no limit. And then the two PLO high rollers. And so I want to play those. And, and at my uh, wife's suggestion, if I'm, if I'm having fun, right. uh, and, you know, it's still the start of summer, I can play a bunch more. If I'm not having fun, then after that, I can, can you know, go play cash games or, or work on business or something else. Huh. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious, why does she like when you play tournaments? I think she, she just likes uh, it. She likes rooting for me and, and kind of sweating and checking the updates on poker news. Um, wow. You know, cause I'm, I'm a cash game player primarily. And yes, right. the results matter, but it's not the same thing. It's, that's huh. chasing glory in the tournament. She really likes watching or following a uh, tournament journey. Awesome. Okay. Well, you mentioned Farah, so that opens the door. You know, not chasing glory, but chasing Farah. You know, like, you know, she was obviously an actress on uh, Days of Our Lives and, and One Life to Live. You know, did you just you know, happen to be sitting one morning watching, you know, your regular daily soaps and like, yeah, I have to meet her. Uh, and it ha- so what exactly happened there? How did the, the two of you meet? No, uh, well, if anything, she chased me. Um, okay. no, 
what happened was she um she was forced by a show she was on to get a twitter account she didn't want to and um she did and and long story short she, she poker was a hobby at first she she played recreationally for a long time she followed some poker players and i was one of them okay. and after it was a really it was a really slow developing thing but she would replied to a tweet of mine i replied back there was months pass it happens again um it starts to happen a little more frequently um and then at one point it was kind of yeah we were we were talking back and forth on twitter somewhat regularly um and then from there you know moved to starting to text and i eventually so I was living in Vancouver at the time. She was in LA. Um, and I have a lot of friends in LA. And so I, I, at some point said to her, Hey, I'm, you know, going to go in LA to visit my best friend for a while. Um, so I'll be around if you want to meet. And, uh, we did meet and the rest was history. And actually I, I, I mean, I did go see my best friend, but I, I made up the trip just cause you know, we, we, <laughs> when were we going to meet if I didn't, as you're saying, and I'm smiling because I, you know, I, full, full disclosure, I do remember hearing this story before. I think it may have, you may have told it on, uh, maybe I think on the Poker Stories podcast with Julio Rodriguez. I think so, a uh, card player one. But it's such a fun story. I love. I wanted to make sure everyone listened to it again. Uh, and it's also pretty cool when you have a wife who kind of enjoys a partner, a life partner who enjoys poker you know maybe not to the extent that you do but who shares that interest that's always a really cool thing and you know beyond just sort of rooting for you because you know she's married to you but just having like a, a vested in oh i get this game i know what's going on here this is this is cool my guy you know he's gonna take it down um you know how about her though does she study does she uh you know an essential and an elite member at, at run it once um she's got her her account's got access to everything for free yeah um, yeah yeah <laughs> you know she since i mean since we had spencer he, i don't know just about three and a half years ago mm-hmm. she has not played that much and she really misses it she was mm-hmm. i mean before then she was actually playing more than i was i was kind oh. of you know buried under the business and working hard on that she was um she was going to play live cash games i don't know a few times a week mm-hmm. um, and she really misses it it's been hard for her, you know, not, not just because of the time commitment of, you know, being a mom, but she also kind of felt, um, I mean, she kind of felt silly. Like she would go out to play. She'd try every once in a while to go out to play and she would just miss our son and think like, why am I, why am I here in a casino and I could be back home with him. And so she struggled with that for a while. I think now that he's older and getting there, I think she's ready to try again. Um, and play some more and i hope that she you know doesn't have that kind of level of i don't know mom guilt and anxiety and, and can really enjoy it because she loves it and i know she misses it and uh, as much as she loves being a mom i know she misses kind of you know pursuing a passion outside of that so i'm hopeful i know she's gonna play a little bit this world series and uh, i'm hopeful she you know can fully enjoy it and, and then there's more of that in the future nice well, that's great and we'll certainly be on the lookout uh for some Farrah Galfon sightings uh, at the World Series. And how about yourself? You know, I know you enjoy being a dad. Obviously, you try to be as involved as you can. How do you sort of strike that balance? You know, again, it's obviously, you know, the the roles are different, but the desire is the same to just want to be a good parent. So uh, how do you see yourself uh, currently and wanting to sort of balance that 
passion for poker, obviously the whole all the other work stuff as well with with the hashtag dead life. So I've I've done it. I don't find it very difficult when my life is scheduled because, mm. you know, I'm uh, I guess it depends. It, it's very uh, it's varied at different points, but I'm trying to like start super early, start working super early and be done in the late afternoon, like three thirty, And then I have, you know, every weekday I have, you know, all evening to hang out with them. And then I have both, you know, weekend days, um, to hang out with them now. And that, and that works with challenges too, because I schedule the challenges during that work day. Um, and so I still get all that time. The, when it comes to like world series of poker and live poker, even online poker games, if I want to play non heads up games where the schedule is not really up to me, it's just when the games are running, I think it'll be a lot more challenging. And so, you know, this WSOP, I'm not super worried about it. I'm planning to just play a handful of events. And even if I play more, you know, it's over in a month and a half. So if I don't right. see him as much a month and a half, um, you know, if I see him half as much as I normally do, it's not the end of the world, but because uh, it's temporary. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. To do something like that long term, it'd be, it'd be really hard. Uh, yeah. And I don't have plans to right now. But if, if the opportunity comes up and it seems like I should be, you know, playing in games or playing in tournaments that, that make that tougher. I mean, I don't, I, it's hard. I don't know how, uh, you know, people who do it, uh, it's really challenging, especially people who, you know, both parents do it. Um, yeah. It's really challenging. But I, I mean, I will say I, whether it's biology or just because I view the game differently than Farrah does, I don't have, like, if, you know, one night I do go out and play, um, if I do play a tournament for a couple of days and I don't see him for, 24 hours I, I don't have kind of the same level of guilt about it that, that you just know i'm gonna see him the next day and and uh everything's okay okay yeah that's that, that's a fair take um well spencer he's what three and a half years old you said does he know that you once had a slide like what's his slide situation <laughs> he doesn't know that i had a slide once he's got a very small wooden slide upstairs uh, <laughs> you know if he found out he'd be pretty upset that, that his is he has such a weak slide. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that one. <laughs> yeah. We'll try to keep right, that. Well, right. And then we'll try to keep that come from him for a couple more years. And then, okay. I don't know. I'm actually hoping that he, he gets really upset about it. And we have to put a slide in our house because I don't sign off on it yet. There you go. What, he, go. what goes around comes around. Uh, of course, we're talking about the famous slide that Bill used to have. He had, Two apartments in uh, Manhattan, right? And with the slide going from the top to the bottom. Legendary stuff. Um, in some of your YouTube videos, Phil, there are several books on a shelf behind you. And I think I saw The Biggest Bluff uh, by Maria Konnikova. Uh, you can see it maybe over your right shoulder over there. Uh, episode number six. That was Maria Konnikova. She was on this show before. I think there are also some poker strategy books in there, too. What titles do you have there and which of them helped or influenced you? Or is someone just saying, hey, please, please put my book over there up your shoulder so people see it? So I haven't read most of these books. If I'm being honest, I have. Um, there are a few two plus two books. Um, the publishing company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? Actually, I, so I, I, I met with uh, Mason once uh, a couple years ago now. And he just gave me a few books. And so the ones that are the two plus two, I mean, I've, I had two plus two books before then um, and I've read them, but the ones that are up there are actually the ones he gave me. 
I don't think I've read them uh, yet. Sorry, Mason. Uh, but I have, I mean, I have read a lot of C plus C books. My first poker book that kind of helped me kind of get on the right path uh, was, was Hold'em Poker for Advanced Players. Um, okay. But no, I, I, uh, I have, I'm the kind of person who, who buys uh, books with aspirations to read them and then never, never does. Um, actually, Maria's book is the only one up there that I've read and actually I haven't finished it. I read like half of it. Um, there you go. I, uh, I don't know. I, I always feel too busy, uh, to read, but that's, it's probably a bad excuse. That's a, a typical thing that content creators have, you know, too busy creating, uh, in order to consume. So I, I totally get that. But if you're going to pick one of the books off that shelf, I'm, uh, Maria's is uh, definitely the one, uh, you want to be picking and maybe finishing, uh, you know, at some point during, <laughs> during the world series, great stuff there. Um, the video that, you released uh, for Run It Once to introduce the Jungle Man, to introduce Dan Cates as a member of the training team. It was among the nominees for a Global Poker Award, and it's quite the piece of video that really captured his personality. What's the story behind that? Who came up with the idea and what made you decide, you know, let, let, this is how we're going to go ahead and introduce him to the uh, Run It Once world? Um, you know, we so we... Long story short, you know, we've we've wanted Jungle Man to make videos for a long time. We've we've pitched it to him several times, and and uh, he th- he's always thought about it, and then decided not to. And this time, as part of our pitch, uh, one of our team had the idea of you know putting together fun videos like we have. Um, we've put together several and released them uh, because I know that that Jungle Man likes doing stuff like that. He has fun with it. Yeah, and so we as part of our pitch put together, you know, how we would market it, and we knew it would be a way that he'd he'd find interesting. And I don't know whether whether that was the the straw that broke the camel's back or not, but he did decide to to make videos finally. Um, and it was actually so our I actually don't even know if what his technical t- I don't know if he has a title, but <laughs> but Mikey Stotts, who's actually uh, been a friend of mine since since high school and has worked on Run It Once since the inception. Um, he came up with the idea and, and wrote the majority of the videos that have come out. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a creative guy, to say the least. Shout out to Mikey Stutz. All right. Well, we got one last question of mine uh, before we get into the community questions from our Cards Chat members. Uh, it's a bit of a big question to wrap up on, but, but here you go. The game of poker has always had a few bumps and bruises along the way, like it has recently, but nonetheless, it powers through it. It constantly, you know, at least since Black Friday, you know, the ultimate tanking, it has continued to grow, to mature, to get bigger and bigger. And, you know, that's a good thing, a good positive trajectory to have. You've been around the game for quite a while. Um, can you sort of give us, again, to sort of, you know, wrap up my line of questioning here, your perspective and your thoughts about the game now versus back when you started and where you think it's headed in the future and where you'd like for it to go in the next maybe five to 10 years? That's a big question. And, um, you know, I've, I mean, I think you're like me that, um, in that you love the game. We love the game and the, we don't really like, you know, like, I I don't know. I'll speak for myself, but, but, uh, you know, it's 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 really a bummer how much negativity comes up in the game. Um, yet my passion for the game overpowers 
any of that. You know, it would be easy for me to think like, I don't know, you know, these recent cheating scandals just like did did bum me out in general. But I just love poker too much to to consider doing anything else uh, despite all that. Um, I think the you know the game. It's, it's changed in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it hasn't. Um, you know, the tools that we use to study have changed dramatically uh, since I started playing I don't know, 18 years ago or something. Um, the, but at the end of the day, even with tools this advanced, you need to be the one making decisions at the table. And those decisions still, like the, the process of learning and then applying that knowledge and making decisions I don't feel like it's changed that much. Um, the knowledge that we're getting is is more powerful than it used to be, but it's still just the same. Um, but, uh, it's still just the same, uh, you know, the same process of learning and then getting to the table and trying to optimize um, kind of performance mm-hmm. and being able to execute what you've learned away from the table to the best of your abilities. So I feel like the process of playing. You know, there's a period where I, where solvers were out, I was not studying with them that much. And I was getting very pessimistic about the future of poker um, and my future in poker. And it wasn't until I actually started studying with them and playing that I realized that the game is still the same game. And these are tools that, you know, help improve your understanding of the game. But at the end of the day, nobody is capable of playing anywhere close to the way that a solver plays. Right. And there, there will always be, there will always be mistakes in every player's game. And if you're sharp enough to catch the mistakes and, and figure out what to do uh, about them, then there's always going to be an edge to be had. Uh, so that, uh, and I think that's, that's just always going to be the case unless, you know, X years from now, we just all have chips in our head and it, you can't stop just getting the right answer immediately. Uh, right. So, you know, I think, I think that aspect of the game is, is always going to be around. I think the biggest struggle that we face is you know post Black Friday, the marketing money um, went away and the TV shows went away for a long time and you know they're coming back in some ways they're coming back you know but but you know Poker Go is doing a fantastic job but it's behind a paywall it's not on cable television right. um, we have streams on YouTube which you know in some ways is I don't know maybe better than being on cable television I don't know but um, I do think that we've kind of struggled to create um, characters over the past 10 years or so. Um, and, you know, there've been a lot of great people and great players, uh, very interesting players and people who have just not become known to the, to the general public. And I think that's, you know, and now kind of, so, so I suspect that as more and more companies in the U S uh, gaming space ad poker and as poker comes to more and more states there's going to be now an influx of of money to uh, which should lead to an influx of, of poker tv once again and i think that what remains to be seen and i think you know what is very important is how how we create that tv and how we lean into um the characters of today which admittedly uh you know come in very different form than than the characters of, of 15 years ago because there, there are a lot of people like myself who, you know, play 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 poker from our computers and uh, study theory and have not 
lived necessarily as colorful and, and crazy a life as, as the gamblers of the past did. Um, yet, you know, I know these people personally very well. There are a lot of really interesting people to get to know. And so I think that I, I do think that there's going to be more poker um, coming, more poker on TV coming to the U.S. Um, and then therefore to the rest of the world as well. And I really hope that we, that we, that they figure out um, how to make it compelling. Um, not just because the poker is going to be the poker, but I think what makes it compelling is, is the people at home rooting for and rooting against uh, people they're watching on TV. And so I think that's the, the biggest hurdle and the biggest challenge facing, uh, facing producers uh, in, in the coming years. But I, I think we have an opportunity and, and I hope that we uh, capitalize on it. That's a nuanced, layered, excellent, detailed answer. And I feel like I want to stand up and give you an ovation. I'd love it. Uh, you know, you say you speak for yourself, but you know, I, I'm, I've got to be positive that there's folks out there listening and, and watching this saying, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like just looking forward to some hopefully excellent years of growth. Like you said, it's a matter of hopefully the money pouring in and hopefully, uh, you know, the, the best is very much yet to come. Uh, just curiosity, do you still have a little bit of extra time? We have time for so, like, a chatter round or should we go straight yeah. into the, you do? Okay. So we'll get a few uh, rapid fire questions in before we get, it's the, just, you know, first thing that hits your mind before we move into the community questions. Uh, Phil, what's your favorite TV show? Oh no. Um, <laughs> I should have warned you. I'm not good at rapid fire questions. Um, okay. I guess I'll, I'll go with uh, game of Thrones, even though it's over. Excellent. Okay. What is your favorite soap opera? uh days of our lives excellent so what what is your favorite poker movie not named grounders you know the um i forget which one it was called but i really liked the the bond movie that was poker based but actually the poker was terrible in it casino Um, royale casino royale but i like the movie enough that i'm just gonna go with that okay fair enough good take um, who is the best PLO player in the world? Man. Um, it's going to be either, it's going to be either sauce. So these are people who are not sauce and very sweet are the two players. I mean, people who don't follow online poker might not be as familiar, but those are the two players who kind of scare me. Um, they're, they haven't been, playing uh much PLO lately so maybe if i played them today it, it would go okay but those are those are the two players that stand out to me as I, i'd be nervous well the correct answer to that question is actually phil galfon but we will accept your answer um what celebrity would you like to play a live galfon challenge against oh wow um I guess I'll just go with Kevin Hart. I know he's he's played in my wife's played with him a few times and uh, has enjoyed it. And uh, I know he loves the game and, and is a fun, funny guy to be around. That would be ridiculously entertaining. And just a shout out to my buddy Mike, who helped compile this wonderful little uh, chatter round of questions here. Um, what percentage of good poker is math based? Oof. So I'm feeling I'm feeling compelled to to mention some a lot of nuance here because poker a lot like almost all good poker is math based but doesn't need to be math focused um you need to have some you need to have some understanding 
um, of how the math works, but it doesn't have to be the top of your mind. I think that, you know, I can play a very strong session, you know, thinking about math one, like for 5% of the time. Okay, we will accept that. Speaking of five, how many five-minute showers have you taken in your online poker career? Mm, I, I mean, a few dozen. Okay. <laughs> Great. For those who don't know, what we're referring to, of course, is a five-minute break in between levels when playing online. That's awesome. Um, who is your? Who has your toughest heads-up opponent been, whether in Galfon Challenge or otherwise? I'm going to go with Benny Beattie. Uh, he he was. Um, I mean, obviously, he wrecked me at first, and I did make a comeback. But he he actually more than anybody else adapted. Um, throughout the challenge and kind of every time I spotted something that I thought I could take advantage of, you know, within a few sessions, he was, he was doing something different. Cool. Okay. Um, besides playing too many, hands, obviously that's the correct choice. I think Benny Vitti, it's just like, you know, I just having followed that just injecting my own personal opinion there, you know, it was just a hell of a challenge to follow. And I think, uh, there were a lot of railbirds for that one thing. Okay. This dude, you know, he knows what he's doing here. Um, Besides playing too many hands, in 10 words or less, what is one mistake that recreational PLO players can correct to help their game? Drawing to the second best hand. Excellent. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Uh, and not that I'm a recreational PLO player specifically, but yeah, that's uh, good advice. I got to remember that too. Um, which number is bigger, Elon Musk's net worth or the number of poker hands you've played? Elon Musk's net worth. Okay. Is it close? I don't think so. Okay. Because <laughs> you played a lot of poker in 18 years, Phil. Okay. Um, this is something we always ask everyone uh, at the uh, Cards Chat podcast. Who are the friendliest poker players you've ever had the joy of playing with at the felt? Um, two popped right into my head. Um, Jason Kuhn and Brandon Shaq Harris. Nice. Excellent. Good. Yeah, we got to get them on the show. We don't have, haven't had either of them yet. Hopefully uh, they will, they will come on as well to the friendliest poker podcast in town. Um, and we'll do, well, you already kind of answered this one. Uh, again, just shout out to my, he asks, uh, Will you ever incorporate playground equipment into your living quarters again? But I think we've covered that ground. Um, all right. So in this segment of the show, final segment here, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And our first one comes from Terry K., the name I don't believe I've seen uh, either before or in a long time. So thank you, Carrie, for sending this one in. Uh, Phil Terry wants to know, what is your most embarrassing moment in poker thus far? I played a hand on high stakes poker, I think the first time I was on, where it was like six way to the river. Um, we checked it down and I mucked a chop. I had half the pot, but I didn't realize it. Ooh, wow. Like clearly you you answered that instantly. So wow, that that's uh interesting one. Okay. Uh Doug 
PKR Monster. Definitely a name I've never seen before. So thank you for sending this question in. Uh, Phil, you're widely regarded as a top PLO authority with your training site and lately the heads up matches. What was your biggest aha moment when learning PLO? And what would you say is the most important lesson you learned when moving up in stakes? Great question. Yeah, really great question. Tough question to answer, too. Um, I think I, I guess I will say the biggest aha moment is just realizing, especially coming from No Limit, that you, you don't really need to force things in PLO. Um, th there's a lot of opportunity to, to just wait for the right cards um, mm. whether it be the right draws to to call or to raise with or the right blockers to make a bluff with you just get the right cards so frequently when you have four of them that uh kind of like trying to make something happen too frequently is is, is dangerous nice okay very cool um this is a great question I like from SN0112. Again, another new question asker. Thank you for putting this forward. Very nuanced, very detailed here. So uh, they start off like this. Uh, apologies, as you're probably tired of talking about this, but I've heard that your epic comeback against Benny Vitti uh, was described as one of the biggest achievements in poker history. You explained your decision to, to take a break from the challenge in great detail. But, and here's the, the great question I like, what was your strategy for study and mental recovery during that break? I think that's something we could, uh, you know, learn a lot. It's a very, you know, an insightful question that, you know, hopefully we could uh, kind of learn from what goes through the one of the minds of the greatest players. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So, you know, in the past, before I was playing challenges, whenever I would encounter a downswing and, and really kind of be struggling, I would, I would take break. I'd take time off until I felt ready to continue and in a challenge you don't have that luxury i i ended up paying for that luxury um in this challenge uh paying penalties to take some days off and i was also fortunate that we had some pre-planned days off because Benny was going on vacation um mm -hmm. this time so during uh, the first step was just a, a couple of days to, to just step back and uh kind of re-enter the real world and uh get out of my head um I worked a lot with Elliot Rowe, who's uh, my mindset and performance coach on just getting my head on straight. And then I think the most impactful thing I did was uh, to go and play hands against other players on the break. Because mm. when, when someone's just crushing you, uh, for lack of a better <laughs> way to phrase it, um, you're perception and pattern recognition everything's off it just you just can't it, it's really hard to play with confidence and to to make good reads because so often you've decided to make that call on the river and they've just had it and does that mean they're never bluffing or does it mean they're running hot i think due to the the number of buy-ins they want in a short amount of time i think i could tell that it was in large part due to, to running hot and yeah. so but even knowing that, yeah, my pattern recognition's off. I couldn't find spots. Like normally when you play somebody who's who's running average, you get a lot of samples of, okay, these are the spots they like to bluff in or they've taken this line, it means something. And I just couldn't figure anything out because he just kept having a good hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and so playing against other players where I didn't have that hanging over my head and all of that 
clouding my my judgment and my ability to play and, and actually having good results is is what gave me the confidence to not only continue but to play my game once we once we did continue. Hmm. Excellent. And that's uh, very insightful. I'm, I feel like I'm sitting there also. I don't want to be taking notes on exactly what you say. I, I like that a lot. And uh, you know, clearly that's something that, you know, even, you know, world-class players need to take that step back and, and you know, kind of, I don't know, uh, what's, the, what's the right word, but like sort of take in what it is that's going on and, you know, remember, yeah, go ahead and crush some other nits and remember, yeah, I'm, I'm, Phil F and Galfon, I can I can do this, you know, like the almost the Rocky way of doing it. You did mention Elliot Rowe, and we did have him on episode number twenty of this podcast as well. Feel free to listen to that one. And uh, a bonus shout out, of course, he came up with that great course uh, that uh, you know, in in conjunction with Run It Once, uh, the A Game Masterclass. That's a really good uh, resource there. I've got time for one last question. Thank you very much to Propane Goat for sending this one in. Uh, wants to know, Phil, what was the biggest stumbling block that you had to overcome at the beginning of your poker career, and what state what steps did you take to address it? I think the what I what I struggled with the most was um, bankroll management. Hmm. I wow was I mean I just really really liked pushing it. Um, I like taking shots and I don't know that I, I, I guess what I did to overcome it is actually what became my strategy, which is not what I would necessarily recommend to everybody, but I would, um, allow myself to take shots in bigger games, mm-hmm. but with a very limited stop loss. And then once I hit that stop loss, I would step back to my regular game and grind there and the a lot of people once they take those shots they have a really tough time stepping back down because they want to chase those losses and i for some reason was able to do that and actually because i loved taking shots and kind of the idea of of moving up the ladder in stakes um and the idea of potentially um accelerating that by shot taking i loved that idea so much that it actually drove me to to work harder and grind in the smaller games so that i could take my next shot um but if I was not able to control myself and step back down after losing, let's say, four or five buy-ins at a game that's like two or three stakes higher than my usual game, um, I obviously could have, could have lost everything uh, more than once. Wow. 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 So, and I'm, I did not expect an answer about bankroll management. Uh, great question. Thank you very much, Propane Goat. And Phil, thank you for that answer. Thank you for all these wonderful answers. Thank you, everyone who sent in the questions to Phil Galfond. And again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in our Cards Chat community, we would love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Phil, damn, this has been phenomenally enjoyable on my end. I appreciate, again, your time so much. Uh, anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we let you go? Um, no, Honestly, no. Um, I, I've had a great time. Uh, hey. we, we, co- we covered everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for having me on and, and for, the, uh, for the really thoughtful interview. 
Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Thank you again very, very much. Thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.